my, my job is to somehow make them curious enough or persuade them by hook or crook to get more aware of themselves and where they came from and what they are into and what is already there and just to bring it out. This is what compels me to compel them. And I will do it by whatever means necessary. Welcome to the Black Girls Heal podcast, where we talk about healing our intimacy disorders, unresolved trauma, and building a healthy relationship with first ourselves and then others. Every episode, we will talk about advice you can apply today to break unhealthy patterns and grow in your self-worth. I'm Sheena Lachey, love addiction coach and trauma specialist. Let's begin. Hello, hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Black Girls Heal. I am so happy to be with you today, and I hope that you are doing well wherever you are. And if you're not, that you are taking the steps that you need to, to feel fulfilled, to feel whole, to feel safe, to feel secure, because you deserve it. Um, Today, we are talking about a very special topic with a very special guest, Today we're talking about the importance of sisterhood and how sisterhood heals. And we have one of the best, if not the best person to talk with us about that today. And that is Dr. Joy Harden Bradford, who is the founder of Therapy for Black Girls. Having a healthy sisterhood, having healthy friendship is one of the pillars of good self-care, of good mental health, of healing our attachment wounds by having people who become our chosen family who help us navigate the ups and downs in life that celebrate us, that love us. And Dr. Joy has written an amazing book titled Sisterhood Heals that talks about what it looks like to build these friendships, that talks about what it looks like to navigate the transitions and the ups and downs, the coming together, the moving apart, what our roles are in these relationships as well. And so she's joining us today to talk about all of those concepts, to talk about all of those things, building together, growing together, navigating um, the sometimes breakups and the different difficult moments and learning how to stay connected and making sure that you are being a good friend yourself. So I'm super excited for you to hear this interview and get all of these gems. And so without further ado, let's go ahead and jump on in. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Before we get started, let's take a small break to say thank you to this week's sponsors. On the podcast today, I am so excited to have the incomparable Dr. Joy Harden Bradford of Therapy for Black Girls. Hi, Dr. Joy. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much, Sheena. It's an honor to connect with you again. Yes, yes. As we were saying before we hopped on that we have a connection from years ago, you were my first podcast interview and I was so nervous. I was pacing back and forth. I've always admired you and everything that you do for us and just the way that you've paved the way for all other healers and um, the platforms that we've built. And so just thank you for being you and thank you for being consistent and thanks for being here again. Oh, absolutely. I don't think I knew that was your first podcast interview, but you you did incredible. So, Oh, thank you. I'll, I'll <laughs> take that positive affirmation. <laughs> well, today on the podcast, you are here to talk about something that is 
such an important topic and something that you do amazing at cultivating, which is sisterhood. And you wrote the book on sisterhood that has recently been published, Sisterhood Heals. And so um, would love to talk about those topics a little bit deeper. But for those who do not know you, can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you? Hmm. Yeah, so as you mentioned, I am a psychologist. I am based in Atlanta, um, and I'm the founder of Therapy for Black Girls, which is a platform that's really designed to make mental health more relevant and accessible for Black women and girls. And we do that in a couple of different ways. Um, you already mentioned we have a weekly podcast also called Therapy for Black Girls. Um, we have an incredible therapist directory for people who are looking to connect with therapists in their areas. And we also have a smaller community within Therapy for Black Girls called the Sister Circle, um, which is really the Designed to kind of continue to cultivate that space of sisterhood. Um, and so the book Sisterhood Heals is really kind of, I feel like a combination of all the things that I have been doing for some time. Um, and when I thought about like what I really wanted this book to be, I really wanted it to be something that really spoke to the foundation of my work, which I really do feel like are Black women's relationships with one another. Um, and so Sisterhood Heals is a celebration of who we are to each other as Black women, and also a gentle challenge for us to be stronger for one another and to be more of that because I do think the relationships with each other are often life-saving. That is very true. I mean, we see that everywhere, not only in in social media and cultural um, news, but also in our daily lives, right? The people who hold us down when we're going through things, the first people we look to call when we are needing support or to celebrate are our sisters, our, our chosen family, right? And so um, I'm so happy that we have resources that really cultivate that. So let's start. I think it's important to build a foundation to grow so that we know how do we build this thing called sisterhood, tribehood, community, right? Um, and let's just start by defining it. How do you describe sisterhood? So I really, I like the idea of a chosen family. Like I feel like our sisters, sisterhood is really um, the space where we can kind of take off all of the mass. It is the intentionality in terms of um, you know, really pouring into one another and being there for one another, but also allowing people to be there for us, um, which is, I think, a piece that often gets missed for us as Black women. Um, but I think it is those intentional spaces and, and places that we create with other Black women. Mm. Can you say more about that? That's that's a really important point. As it's not just us being there for other people, but allowing people to be there for us. Can you? Yeah. Yeah, I think so many of us really kind of identify or over identify in some ways with kind of being like the strong friend in a group or the responsible one, the competent one, you know, these gold stars we get. Um, and I think a lot of us really excel at being there for other people. I think a lot of us have a lot more work to do in terms of allowing people to be there for us and being very intentional about asking for help. Um, you know, because I think we think, you know, people are so busy or, you know, like they got a lot going on. I don't want to put more on them. But when we think about the ways that we often make space for other people in our lives, right? Like we also have tons of things that we're doing, but if our sisters call and we can do it, then we're there. But I don't think we often let other people show up and kind of extend and return that favor to us. And so I think that that's something really important for us to remember and to work on. Mm-hmm. So I think right now we hear a lot of people talk about the importance of asking for help, right? And we may want to do that and we may want to not be avoided when it comes to that, but practically we might not know what that looks like. So from what you've seen in the community of women that you've supported or maybe even your own friend groups, what is mm -hmm. something 
that would clue someone in that hmm, maybe I'm not asking for help, like stress levels or something like that? How would they know that maybe they need to open up a little bit more? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I definitely think stress level is a is a key indicator, right? Like if you look at um, your calendar and there's like very little white space, then I think that that could be an indicator that there may be some time to to reach out for help. I also think that this often pops up in feelings of resentment. So you know, when somebody does ask you for something or, you know, something happens where you're being asked for something, your initial response is not like, oh, of course, I'm happy to help you. It may be one of like, oh, here they go asking again, right? And so that may be an indication that there may need to be some boundary setting, but I think it's also an indication that we may be overextending ourselves and not expecting that same, um, you know, favor to be returned to us. And so I think when you start to have feelings of resentment, that can also speak to, hmm, I may not be asking for what I need or asking for help as much as I could. Mm -hmm. And I think this is where it's really important to make sure that we're doing our own internal work, right? To make sure we're not projecting our thoughts and our insecurities onto other people because it feels real. Like we, we are very good at that confirmation bias. And if we have an internal belief that someone's going to reject us or abandon us, we will focus in on every micro expression that is there or not there. Every yeah. gap in between a text message that was five minutes one day and an hour the next. And, you know, yeah. and just invent ways that people are not going to be there for us. But really, um, it's us going through that fear of being hurt again, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, with that kind of stuff, what I found, and tell me if you've seen this to be true yourself sisterhood absolutely heals and that when we move closer to people who are secure and available that does something magical but for us to be open to what sisterhood can do for us we have to start with our own internal work too you know we have Mm -hmm. to be going to therapy we have to be looking at these deeper roots we have to learn how to self self self-soothe and practice self-care when we're upset Yeah, you know, and you know what you just said, Sheena, made me think of a couple of things. So one, I also think we need to be open to the fact that like people won't be able to help us sometimes, right? Like we all have lots going on. And so even though people may want to be able to do a thing for you, like time-wise, resources-wise, like it may not be okay. And so I think it's also important for us to understand that like the answer may be no sometimes, but that that also means that our answer can be no sometimes, right? So again, a, a reminder for us not to overextend ourselves so much so that us hearing no feels like a major infraction, right? Like somebody can not help you, but still love you very much and still want to be there for you in other ways. So I think we have to kind of get over that fear of rejection um, to kind of put ourselves out there, even though we know that the answer may be no sometimes. Yeah. Answer might be no, not only because they don't want to help you, but also they can't, you know, again, it might be something bigger than their personal scope in your friendship. So mm-hmm. how does one start the process? And we might've already kind of talked about this actually. How does one start the process of putting themselves out there, especially for those who either want to build sisterhood, true healthy relationships for the first time, or maybe they've had transitions in their life. You know, something that I've talked about in the podcast is, you know, as I've gone through transitions of motherhood and then marriage and then not being married anymore, <laughs> and then, you know, all these other things, the ways that friendships have morphed and changed has looked different, right? And I can imagine I've seen with my clients and the people in the community as they've gone through their changes, sometimes friends come with them and sometimes they don't. So how does one start the process of putting themselves out there? 
Yeah, so I think what can often be helpful is to kind of look in the background of our lives, because I think that there are people sometimes in the background that could move to the foreground with just a little bit of effort, right? So is there like a mom that you see in the carpool line where, you know, y'all kind of exchange pleasantries, but it never goes beyond that, or somebody that you're sitting next to in yoga, or, you know, just somebody that you kind of see around, but you haven't ever taken the time to like have any more in-depth conversation. Um, and so I think, you know, for example, somebody in the carpool line, could you say like, hey, do you want to grab a smoothie after we drop the kids off, right? And I think the key here really is to keep your expectations realistic and low, right? Because this is just a stranger that you're wanting to get to know more. And it could become somebody that's super significant to you, or it could just be somebody that you enjoyed a smoothie with, right? Um, so I think extending that invitation, again, being understanding that sometimes that means rejection will happen. And if we don't like that, right? Like nobody wants to sign up to like not be in the inner circle or whatever. But I think the only way that you meet the people who are going to be significant to you is by putting yourself out there. You just never know what a relationship could turn into. Absolutely. And I love, you know, I remember reading that part in the book too, um, giving tips like that of putting yourself out there and, you know, managing your expectations, but still remaining hopeful. How would you encourage someone who, I mean, you know, my podcast is really for those of us who come with all of our insecurities mm -hmm. and our insecure attachment and, you know, mm -hmm. all of that stuff. So I feel like this is probably very prevalent or irrelevant to most of the people who listen. Going in with all that optimism and hope and keeping in mind, this is not a personal rejection and friendship mm -hmm. takes time, but still, how do you maintain that long-term or consistently when it feels like you're putting all these these feelers out, right? And you keep you planting mm -hmm. all these seeds, but nothing has really flourished yet into the friendship that you want. What do you suggest for people to do during those times where they stay encouraged? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think, you know, that is why I think the work that we are doing as therapists kind of getting outside of our offices is really important, right? So the community that you've built, the community that I've built, like the community that so many other people have built, where people can kind of connect around these kinds of things, I think is really, really important. So, you know, you may not find like friends in the yoga class or whatever, but is there an online space that caters to people who, you know, have similar concerns like your community? So that like there's a shared understanding that we're all kind of struggling with this, right? I think that online spaces have really done a lot, I think, for Black women to kind of meet people across the world who they do have more in common with. Um, I also think it's really important when it feels appropriate to share some of those struggles, right? Because if you know that you are coming into a relationship and you're somebody who requires a little bit more reassurance, you know, a little bit more validation and affirmation, it's okay to let people know that too. And I think it is important for us as like people um, who are friends with people who have maybe a more insecure attachment style to kind of be mindful of that and to understand that like she may need a, a few extra text messages or, you know, to not like really bash people for that because we're all showing up with our own different things. And so I think what has often been lost in friendship is like this level of consideration that we are readily available to offer in like romantic relationships, but we don't think like friendships require this same amount of work. But I, I also think that there's some forethought that goes into thinking about how our friends need to be loved and taken care of and us doing that work to make sure that we are creating spaces for people to feel comfortable and feel, you know, more of themselves. 
Dr. Joy, that is such a word. That is such a word. You know, even very recently in one of my friend group chats, we had a really intimate and vulnerable conversation about our love languages and mm-hmm. whether or not we felt that each other were actually living up to it. And, you know, there are some of us who had love languages that were the opposite of other people in the group. And so it was important for us to figure that out to make sure that we could be consistent and intentional because you're absolutely right. You know, some for some reason, it can be so easy to romanticize or prioritize romantic relationships and treat them as if they are something that needs to be protected and cherished. And this friendships are just to be there. You know, we kind yes. of take them for granted, right? Not realizing that if anything, like we said at the beginning, these are chosen family. These are going to be the most intimate relationships. I know all of our secrets. Um, if we are fortunate enough to find the people who will hold them, right? And so they need to be taken care of. They need to be prioritized mm-hmm. just as much. Yeah. Um, how would you say that's one, something I've seen recently on TikTok and on social media is that concept of not only romanticizing your life, but romanticizing your friendships, right? And going outside of romantic partnerships and treasuring everybody. So what would that look like for one to start to romance their friendships and romance Mm -hmm. the people in their life platonically? Yeah, I love that. You know, and I think, you know, in the field, we kind of talk about how historically, like, you were never supposed to put like all of the expectations and all of the hope for all of what your life would be on one person, i.e. your romantic partner, right? Like historically, we have had much more of a village mindset where, you know, you do some things with your partner, but then you do other things with people that you work with and other people, you know, other things with your friends. And it was more of a spread. And I really would like to see us get back to that. And so I think what some of this romanticizing your friendships looks like is being as intentional with your friend groups and your girlfriends as you are in romantic spaces because when we think about um you know like some of our long friendships like see us through multiple iterations like you mentioned right like you know so I have friends that I went to undergrad with um who have seen me you know for years and and kind of know all of these levels of my life and all of these different phases um and so I think when you think about like what kind of care and what kinds of things do you need to what kind of effort do you need to put into sustaining those kinds of relationships that will oftentimes outlast romantic relationships and so one thing I think that looks like is being very intentional about making sure you're putting time on the calendar to spend with those people, um, because I think a lot of us kind of live by our calendars, and if it's not on there, it doesn't happen. And so to your earlier point, you know, I think sometimes we feel like, oh, I'll just catch up with my girls, whatever. But if you're not actually putting it on the calendar, then it's very likely it's not going to happen. And so can you plan like a quarterly kind of get together or at least a yearly kind of gathering where y'all are going somewhere or doing something so that you know that that is protected time, I think that that's really important so that you are creating spaces where you are prioritizing those relationships. I also think that group chats are a very underrated way of like staying connected to friendships um, just because I think it, it, it feels very low lift. Like in one of my group chats, like our main really source of communication is playing Wordle every day, right? But I think in, in a couple of ways, it is like a proof of life kind of thing, right? Like, so there could be a lot going on, but you know that I submitted my Wordle score today. And so, you know, I'm still kind of hanging in there. Um, But also like just exchanging memes and gifts. Like, I think that those are ways to just kind of passively stay connected so that you're kind of still, you know, knowing what's going on with people without having to say a whole bunch. Um, So I think it's important to kind of make sure that we are utilizing all of the technology that is available to us to help us to stay connected with our friendships. Awesome. Love that. 
So there's a chapter that you have in a book that talks about the life cycles of friendships. And so I was wondering if you can talk a little bit about that. What do you mean when you say life cycles and what are some of the cycles and stages that we can expect to see? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, you mentioned it earlier, Sheena, but I do think that there are certain times in the life cycle of friendships that get a little bit more tenuous. Um, and so I have seen a lot of tension kind of pop up related to people getting engaged or married, um, people having a baby or bringing a child into the family. And then when there is a career advancement or a promotion, and it seems like there's a lot of, um, you know, there can be a lot of like fallout. I, I, I mentioned I had a, a book tour in Houston, a book stop in Houston and talked about like, raise your hand if your wedding party started out with like a certain number of people. And then by the time it was time for the wedding day, like that, you know, lineup was not the same. And a lot of people raised their hand. And so I think that there is something, especially around like marriage and engagements that really in- activates this like abandonment, not pitch first kind of um, wound for a lot of sisters. And I don't think it's intentional. Like, I think a lot of it is really a subconscious kind of thing. And I think this is a space where we have to make sure that we're holding space for two things to be true at the same time, right? So if, if long-term partnership and marriage is something that you actively want and like it happens first for somebody else in your circle and it feels like it might not happen for you soon or at all, I think it's impossible for it not to activate something within you. But I think so much of our narrative is around like just being happy for this person that we forget to leave space for the idea that it could also activate some sadness in this other person and so how can we have conversations that say I'm really happy for you I want to be there to support you and I'm also really sad that this thing hasn't happened for me and I'm worried about like whether it will um you know and and so I talk about like there are, there's a time to have those conversations. So the day that somebody gets engaged is probably not the day to have that conversation, right? But if you, if you sit with yourself and, you know, weeks after this person has gotten engaged, you're still kind of feeling, you know, like, oh, I can't quite shake it. You know, you talk with your therapist about it, talk with other friends about it. I do think it's appropriate to talk to the bride-to-be to say, I really want to show up for you in this way. And I'm also feeling really sad about the fact that this has not happened for me. So I think we have to be responsible for for having that conversation. But I think, again, to our earlier point, it is also important for the bride-to-be to be able to hear that in a way that is not malicious, in a way that is not like, oh, you're trying to ruin my wedding, but like, oh my gosh, my friend is struggling with something at the same time that this great thing is happening for me. And so, you know, that that chapter is really about like, how can we have some of these more difficult conversations so that we can create space for all of our humanity, even the more prickly parts that we sometimes want to hide. Absolutely. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parties, parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. When healing from an intimacy disorder, one of the first things you have to do right after getting clear on your patterns of addictive behaviors, avoiding behaviors, and living in deprivation is clearing out the roots that caused it. Clearing out the experiences, the traumas, the narratives that have kept you stuck all of these years. In my signature coaching program, The Recovery School, you have the opportunity to reveal the sources of low self-worth, to learn about how old roles in your family have resulted in codependency, shutting down, and not letting others in. And also to learn how to talk to and connect to your inner child in a way that is soothing and healing. This is the next step to reframing the old stories that have plagued you for years to evolve to being a healed and loved woman and having access to the love and the relationships and self-worth that you've always wanted. Learn more and get started by going to therecoveryschool.com. Again, that is therecoveryschool.com. Absolutely. And if I could use your expertise to talk about that same example, but maybe on the other side. So versus jealousy and a person is feeling some kind of way because they don't have what their friend has. Mm-hmm. On my in my platform, what I see is a lot of friends feeling discarded or forgotten because now yeah. their friend is with a partner. Um, and so, you know, you're also a mom, you've been partnered. How do you, or how have you seen your clients maintain space for friendships and social relationships and not feel like you have to choose like either mm-hmm. I'm going to be a, a wife and a mom and I'll see y'all when I see y'all, <laughs> yeah. you know, and still be able to make space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I think one way that my friends and I get with that, get around that is like bringing all the kids to something, right? So the kids are like playing in the living room while we are talking about whatever. Um, but I also think just understanding that this is a part of the life cycle, right? Like that there are some times where we may be less available and that it doesn't mean that I love you any less. It just means that other things are going on. But I think we have to verbalize those things and that feeling of like being discarded or feeling as if like you were only a placeholder until like they found a partner does not feel good. And so I think, you know, it's one thing if like all of you are in similar life spaces, then you, you know, like I said, bring the kids. But I think you do have to be attentive to the fact that if you all are not, how are you kind of communicating that like I may be busy, but I still want to be connected, right? So does that look like us putting things on the calendar? Does that look like, you know, weekly Zoom check-ins or quarterly meetups so that you do understand that I am still invested in this? Um, And I also think it's important for us to kind of think about like the societal narratives we've been fed about like our girlfriends, right? Because I think for a lot of us, we have been taught that like our girls are just placeholders until we find a partner, right? And so I think some of it is unpacking and like unlearning some of that stuff to understand that these relationships are primary for us just in the same ways as romantic relationships can be. Yeah, yeah. There's a lesson that I teach in one of my programs and the title's called Sisters Are Your Soulmates. Mm. And I really believe to your point that you said earlier, you know, these are the relationships that will stick with us, hopefully for a lifetime. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, if we're fortunate, and they will see us through all the ups and downs of the romantic Mm -hmm. partnerships, you know, they're the ones with the staying power. And so if we can pivot and include them in our life cycle fully, I think that's where we get the full richness of Mm -hmm. everything that it can be. 
Yeah, you know, because I think I think sisterhood is really this space where like there are not all those titles, right? Like when you're in a romantic relationship, you're somebody's partner, you're somebody's mom, you're somebody's boss. But I feel like sisterhood really just is a space where you can kind of just be yourself. And so I think it is a place for us to really lean into like kind of just being who we are and like working through these different pieces of who we are and the more prickly pieces of our humanity in spaces that are safe. And I think that often happens in our relationships with our girls. Yeah. Yeah. So with that, you know, I've kind of hinted at it a couple of times, you know, if we're lucky to have friendships that last a lifetime and some, sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes we have friendships that are there for a temporary season for what seems like it's going to be a lifetime, but it ends what feels like prematurely. How does one cope with that type of devastation and that type of loss, you know, Mm -hmm. with relationships that you don't expect to ever end and go away? Yeah, yeah. I appreciate you describing it as devastation and as a huge loss, because I think that that's a part of what makes the grief of losing a friendship so difficult is that we don't often think of it in the same ways we do as like a death or the loss of a romantic partner, right? And I think that often leaves people kind of feeling on the outside with their feelings. And like, you know, people will often say like, oh, you got plenty of friends. Or like, oh, you meet new friends, like no big deal. But these are often people who know us intimately. Like you like you mentioned, you know, people who know all of the secrets where all of the buried, the bodies are buried. Like they know all of this stuff. Like we have often created this whole entire world with our sister friends. And so losing that, I think is incredibly devastating. And so I typically talk with people about making sure that you're giving yourself enough time and space to actually grieve a loss that is as significant as a sister friend Um, and making sure that you're finding spaces that are supportive for you to talk about that loss, right? So that could be with other friends, that could be a support group, it could be therapy, it could be some other online or in real life community, but spaces that will not minimize you having feelings about the loss of the friendship, I think are really, really important. Um, And I also think it's important for you to kind of get your feelings out in whatever way feels most helpful to you. So for some people that can be journaling, for some people it is more like body movement kinds of things like dancing or yoga Uh, for some people it may be talk therapy you know so lots of different ways for you to kind of move through whatever it is that you're feeling I also think that when you're ready um, you know it is important for you to be able to put yourself out there but you don't have to rush the readiness right I think again that is a, a part of what comes with giving yourself time to really heal this loss and understand that you may go into new friendships very hesitant right so after you've had a major loss and you know a thing has happened with a friend it's it's normal for it to kind of feel a little apprehensive about like oh do I want to put myself out there um, but I think it's also important to think about like what was gained from that friendship and that it didn't have to mean that you were bad or that they were bad sometimes things just run their course and so again when you're ready to be able to put yourself back out there I think that that's important as well Mm -hmm. that's really great thank you thank you for Mm -hmm. that Uh, one of the questions that I wanted to ask earlier is what does healthy sisterhood look like but I think we already answered that but while you were just saying that I was thinking about when it comes to putting yourself out there how important it is for you to practice your own self-accountability and um, making sure that you're showing up because you can't control what somebody else does, but you can control yourself. So if Mm -hmm. I wanted to, or if anyone wanted to, who's listening, wanted to spot check and say, am I being a good friend? What are some qualities Mm -hmm. that they would look out for that they would want to try to attain to be a good friend to others? Mm -hmm. I think that's so important because I think we often are paying much more attention to what other people are doing and not like this self-check. I appreciate this question. Um, So I think one, are you kind of, 
also carrying the weight of keeping in touch, right? So I think a lot of people will talk about like them being the only one who's sending a text. They're the only one who's initiating conversation, you know, like that kind of thing. And nobody wants to feel like it is one-sided. And so I do think it's important for you to check in about whether you are also initiating communication or following up if they initiate communication so that it doesn't feel one-sided. Um, I also think that it's important for your friendships, much like we talk about with therapy, but I think friendships should also feel like a space where people are being appropriately supported, but also challenged, right? You know, so it can be that you're just like a yes man in the circle. Like, are you also helping them to kind of grow muscle in places where they need it, right? So giving them the the rah-rah and celebration, but also kind of gently calling them to the carpet if there's something that they've done that's wrong or if something they've said hurt your feeling. I think that sisterhood is also a space where um, you can have some of those challenges that feel safe. Um, I also think it is important to look at like how you are actually showing up in your sisterhood, right? And so to your point around like love languages, like the thing that you may be doing that you think is showing love and attention to that person may not be something that they recognize. And so like, are you actually showing up for this person in ways that they are able to recognize that you care um, and that you are meaningful to them? Mm -hmm. That's really good. One trick, I'm gonna give a trick um, that I've done for myself that may help other people when it comes to the love languages, especially mm -hmm. for us love addicts out there. So um, whatever your friend's love language is, let's say yours is quality time, but your friend's love language is gifts. And um, that's kind of hard for you because it's one of the lower things. I would really suggest that you consider if you had a romantic partner whose love language was gifts, what would you do for them? Would you surprise them with gifts every once in a while? Would you go and get a picture with their name engraved? Would you, you know, find their secret, their favorite sweat shirt online on Amazon and buy it for them? And you probably do all those things easily, right? Just because you love them. But to the point that we were saying earlier, that doesn't always come up with friends, especially, you know, unless it's a birthday or something else, but the just because moments. And so write down a list of what you would do for that romantic partner and then scratch out that name at the top and put your friend's name. And that's your new checklist on how you're going to support your friend um, and love them in the way that they need to be loved. Um, mm -hmm. and, and also looking at your mindset around it, because I know sometimes you that's where the resentment can come in at and um, this is too much energy, but seeing I'm nourishing something that's really going to, to grow and really is going to flourish and it's going to be there for a lifetime, right? So I want to put in also what I want to get out. So hopefully yeah. that's helpful to whoever's listening. I think that that's a great idea. You know, and your, your comment earlier about like this conversation you had with your group chat, I think is also a reminder for people that it is okay to also let people know if you don't feel like they are showing up for you in the ways that you would appreciate, right? Like I think in sisterhood is also a place for us to take some of those chances and that if we want to get better at showing up for one another, like we have to be able to hear like, oh, I might not have gotten the mark right with this, right? And how can I like change my behavior so that I can show up in a way that you are able to recognize? Right, and understand that feedback is not an attack, which goes all the way back to our yes. triggers, right? You know, yes. if we want to have honesty, remembering that two things can be true, that our friend is telling us what they need and that they still deeply love us, right? Mm -hmm. Versus us taking it as evidence that we're not loved. Yes. yes. Yeah. yeah. So I thought on one more question. Then yeah. <laughs> this kind of also circles back to an earlier topic. Uh, as far as when relationships 
and friendships end. And I was thinking about, you know, we can hear a lot of things about coping with breakups, romantic partner breakups. And even we can see some things about how to know when to reconcile and how to know when to move closer to someone again. I don't think I've ever heard anyone talk about if there's ever a time when a friendship breakup happens that it does make sense or that it's actually safe to move forward and restore the friendship. So I'm wondering if what you have seen in your experience, have you seen that happen? And if so, what are some ways that people can know, okay, maybe we should try this again or actually no, that ended for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it is something I think about. I feel like I recently did a TikTok about this, um, but I do think that there are a couple of questions that you can ask yourself if you're considering like resuming this friendship. Um, so the first one is, what's different now like what what is making you think that like this relationship will be different so is there some barrier that has been removed is there some behavior that you've noticed that they've demonstrated is going to be different like what what, what makes you think that this time around so to speak would be different than previously when you were in relationship with them i also think it's important for people to think about whether it is this relationship in particular they are wanting to return to or are you feeling lonely because i think sometimes if feel safe to kind of just go back to the devil we know, so to speak, right, versus the unknown devil. Um, but are you really feeling like, okay, this was a healthy place and I feel like we can do some things different now? Or is it that you just really want any friend and this feels like a very easy lift for you to re-engage? Mm. I could just close the podcast <laughs> down to that one. That was good. That's so good. <laughs> That'll clear it up right there. Yeah. Yeah. looking for some comfort and yeah mm -hmm. going back to the double you know what's familiar you know right, right. and also mm -hmm. I think to that point raising your standards you know I come across and I'm sure you've come across too a lot of people whose friendships have ended because they were toxic and the healthier mm -hmm. one person got the more that they saw and the more they understood right and mm -hmm. so um, part of them leaving was them raising their standards to what a friendship could and should look like. And mm -hmm. while you're rebuilding, because friendships take time, especially as an adult, it can be so easy to miss, you know, the comfort of someone who already knew all your things. You already had inside mm -hmm. jokes and even be tempted to take all the chaos and destruction that came along with it because at least it was familiar, but mm -hmm. not unfortunately, fortunately you have moved past that and there is more available for you. So I think those are great questions to check in. Yeah. Yeah. You know, something else I forgot to mention, Sheena, sometimes because we are often like embedded within a, a friend group, when a friendship ends, I think it can also be helpful to have somebody who is like the reporter who like tells the rest of the group and anybody else like what has happened so that you don't have to repeat yourself and kind of keep rehashing the story. Um, so electing one person to kind of be the reporter who tells everybody else like, hey, so-and-so are not friends anymore. You know, she would prefer not to answer any questions. Please don't invite them to, to things at the same time you know like whatever your boundaries are around like how you need to take care of yourself after the friendship breakup I think having somebody who helps you to get the word out about it can be helpful oh that's a good tip will there be any worries about triangulation though you know and one person either being feeling they were forced or actually being put in that position to be a mediator and now they're the ones coordinating messages between everybody you know how was somebody right prepare for that. Yeah, I think you would have to be careful not for, because for, it really is just a reporting kind of thing, not a like, oh, let's try to get them back on the same side or like, oh, let's try to stage this intervention. It really is just like 
here's what happened. She doesn't want to keep repeating this story. So I want to like help her by like sharing with other people that this thing has happened. Um, but I think if you are the reporter, you do have to be careful not to be sucked into like a mediator, like triangulation role when really your role is just to kind of give this one person some space to, you know, kind of do whatever they need to do to take care of themselves. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So all of my fellow people pleasers and co-dependents, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, you know, sensitive ladies, make sure that you don't try to, to be the repairer or the fixer or the messiah, you know, and understanding that these two adult women, if or when they need to find their way back to each other, they can. And they are also the ones who can be in charge of their emotions. And if they need help and support, they will reach out. But it's not your job to make everybody happy. Um, you can love them both and they can have their own individual experiences. Yes, agreed. So is there any part, well, I'm sure there's many, but is there a part of the book that I haven't hit on yet that's one of your favorite tips or tools that you like to share with my audience before we leave for today? Yeah, so because I think we all love kind of like knowing more about ourselves, I do want to call attention to the part of the book that talks about like what role we play in our friendship circle. Um, and so I have found that we often fall into one of four roles. So we are either the leader, the peacemaker, the wallflower, or the firecracker in our friendship circle. Um, and this is not like a hierarchy, like it's not a better than or other or worse than kind of thing, but it really is designed for you to kind of understand like how you are showing up in the circle. So for example, the leader is often the person who is like planning all the group trips you know like if y'all going on vacation you just Venmo them the money and they take care of everything else and like I think a lot of people are naturally drawn to that role but I think the other side of that is that it can often lead to resentment because it may feel like other people are not kind of pulling their weight and so the there's a quiz so if you go to sisterhoodheels.com slash quiz it will give you a little quiz that lets you know what um what role you play in your circle and it's really designed to have a conversation conversation with your circle about who each of you are in the circle and how you can do a better job of supporting each other, right? So what does the leader need from the rest of us? to be able to kind of make the circle continue and to be at its healthiest. Um, and it's also designed for you to realize like if there's a role you're playing that you don't wanna play anymore, how can you ask the group for additional support to kind of move out of that role? So if you don't wanna be the, the planner of everything, how can the group rally around you so that other people can kind of step into those roles? Yes, I love that. And I love those archetypes too, because you did a really great job of showing that there's strengths in all of them in addition to the growth areas that there's not just mm -hmm. one that is like unhealthy versus the others right, right? that they all serve mm -hmm. their part to make the family whole to make the mm -hmm. group whole so, exactly that's awesome well great mm. well dr joy thank you so much for joining us you know sisterhood is so important one of the things that i talk about on the podcast often especially when it comes to healing intimacy disorders is that you cannot heal an intimacy disorder on your own like mm -hmm. healing in group is so important is so vital you know to to have that reflection of love and to learn how to love yourself and receive it as well and so I am very grateful for this book as a resource for women who are learning to heal in community and love each other while they love themselves so thank you thank you Sheena I appreciate the conversation yes so can you let tell our listeners where they can find you Mm -hmm. So you can find me across social media at Hello Dr. Joy, um, and you can find more information about the book at sisterhoodheals.com. You can grab your copy there or from a local bookstore or anywhere that you can find books sold. 
Absolutely. And um, Dr. Joy mentioned as well, for those who are looking for a therapist to help with these avoidant or attachment issues, they have an incredible directory. How many therapists do you have now? We have over 6,000 now, which is incredible. Oh incredible. Yes. Um, across yeah. the U.S. and Canada and mm -hmm. the U.K. too, or just Canada? Just Canada right now. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. But that is amazing. And, and the directory shares who obsesses insurance and who doesn't. So it's such an incredible resource and it's free to use. So the Therapy for Black Girls um, directory is available too. So mm -hmm. thank you so much for being here. Thank you.